I had vivid memories of day number one of Hope Church. It wasn't really day number one because we had some amazing times in the home of Randy and Stacy Schrader and some dialogue and some prayer. But it was day number one as far as service number one, the time when we gathered together uh, for the first time ever uh, back in February of 2012. And I remember praying into that service and into that time together. And, and we wanted to try something that was a little bit crazy, a little bit different than what so many of us had experienced in our backgrounds, which is after the sermon, we wanted to invite people to come up and, and be a sort of prayer team and then invite those who were, were with us to come forward for, for prayer and just very boldly and bravely confess what they were going through or just ask for prayer in different areas. And we knew that it was a little unorthodox, it might be a little bit tough, but but that's what we were praying for. And I remember specifically going into that time and, and praying about that prayer time and, and, and just feeling this, this deep yearning desire that, that we would be a church who would just be authentic and real. And if we're struggling, just say we're struggling. If we're hurting, just say we're hurting. If we're going through something, just, just talk about it. And when it comes time to repent, that, that, that we, just, we just do it. We don't worry about our pride or our reputation or anything else. We just, we just come and be and be who we are. And I, I'm so thankful for all that's happened through the years as, as people have come and, and, and confessed and repented or asked for prayer for healing or prayer for relationships and marriage. So many unbelievable things that God has done up here through the years where we've seen, we've seen healings done uh, on the spot. We've seen God touch us in great, great power. But what has meant the most to me is just women and men who, who have come in and, and just said, I, I just want to confess, uh, or I just want to repent, or there's this area of where I just, I need to be surrendered, or there's an area that I need to be surrendered, but I'm not yet surrendered. I want to ask you to pray for me uh, to be surrendered, because I think this is just me. It's my read of, read of the scriptures. If there's one thing I could long for for our Hope family, it would be utter surrender. I don't think there's anything more important. Okay, the gospel itself is a good news about the Lord Jesus, that God loves us so much, he sent his son to this earth. The earth was broken. It was messed up. Adam and Eve had sinned. The first man and woman, everybody after them has sinned. You and I have sinned. We've all rebelled against God. We're desperately in need of help because we're sinners. We're messed up. God's holy and perfect and righteous. We're not allowed to enter into his presence because of who he is and because we're so messed up. So we need an intermediary. We need someone to take away that sin and allow us to be worthy to go into his presence. And that's how God sent his son Jesus to save us from ourselves Jesus came he lived that perfect life and then he died on the cross as a substitute sacrifice he took a, an unbelievable punishment upon himself a punishment that I deserved and, and you deserved and he absorbed that himself the, the wrath of God and the punishment from God so that we could enter into the presence of God if we believe in Jesus and if we trust him and if we surrender everything to him the Lordship of Jesus Christ is, I think, one of the most missing elements of the, of the journey with Christ in, in so many circles. What you hear is, what does it take to follow Jesus? And, and most will say, we just believe in him and just follow him. Yeah, but what does that mean? 
If you want to follow Jesus, for, for so many, the, the idea of following Jesus is, well, I'm just going to sort of customize my Christian experience. You know what I mean? I'll go to church when I want to go to church, and I'll kind of do the things that I want to do, and I'll, I'll pray sometimes, or maybe read my Bible sometimes, I might, I might do some of the things, but I'm, I'm also going to do the other things that I want to do. You, you know that secret addiction I have? Well, I, I kind of want to hang on to that. And the fact that sometimes I have these other priorities that, kind of come over Jesus and, and this whole journey with him, but I, I kind of want to do that as well. And there, there is other things I don't, don't yet fully have surrendered as well, but, but that's okay. You know, I feel like I'm kind of looking around at everybody else, and well, we're kind of all doing the same thing, so, so I guess that makes me okay. And we fall into this trap of justifying our journey with Jesus by comparing ourselves with other people rather than comparing ourselves with the Scriptures. And it makes sense in a way. I mean, the scriptures are tough. Kind of a little bit blunt, direct, and by the grace of God, very clear and powerful and life-changing and eternity-shifting. If you and I will hold our allegiance to the scriptures and not merely to how we compare to other people. If I could shoot straight with you, and that is my goal, I'm afraid that the church in America today is hanging off a precipice that's really dangerous. Where within our churches, we have created these environments where we justify ourselves by comparing ourselves largely to other people and customizing that Christian experience just like we customize everything else in life. You can customize your health care. You kind of choose your doctors. And, and, and if you don't like the way you're being treated, you go to another doctor. You customize your food. You can go through whatever drive through lane you want or whatever restaurant you want. Or if you've got 18 kids, you can go to 18 different places to please your 18 different kids, which is kind of what some of us do. And, and you end up with these experiences where you kind of customize everything. I mean, even within even in sports, you might live in Houston, but you're not, you're not bound to all Houston teams. I mean, if you like a football team for another place or a baseball team for another place, you can kind of do that. And so our experience is all about customizing everything. And our culture in 2021 in the U.S. is you own your life, do what you want with it. And all of social media is about you be you, you kind of do your thing, and that has permeated our culture, and unfortunately it's permeated our churches. And it's made us think that we can customize our Christian experience, our journey with Jesus, because we should be in control anyway, right? I mean, we, don't we kind of define what this is all about? And so what we're about to read is, is really direct, really powerful, and has the capacity to enable you to experience a journey with God that you've never experienced before. If you are like so many Americans where you're, you're caught in this cultural version of Christianity, this is liberating if we are bold enough to receive it for what it is. Matthew chapter 10. Really appreciate Lindsay reading it for us. Verse 34. This is Jesus. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth... I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I told you it was blunt. I warned you already. This is Jesus being really direct. Verse 35, For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
Jesus is basically saying that to follow him is not easy. If you're going to follow the Lord Jesus, what comes with it is this belief in him, but also this surrender to his lordship, the Bible says. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Now, the lordship of Jesus is this understanding that comes from the, the Roman Empire of that day where Caesar was lord. Caesar being lord meant that Caesar owned everything. You were subject to Caesar with all that you had. And Jesus being lord was a radical statement for the followers of Christ in the early day. It would get many of them killed because they would say Jesus was lord. Which meant Jesus owned everything. He owned their money, owned their time, owned their possessions, owned their family. He owned everything. Now they understood this lordship concept because as Jews they were bound to Caesar. The Roman Empire had taken over many parts of the world including that part of the world and so they were bound to Caesar as lord. They felt very liberated by the fact that no Jesus was lord. And that when Jesus died and then he rose again, he told them he was going to send his Holy Spirit, God's presence, to be with them. So they would follow Jesus as Lord, empowered by his presence. And it gave them joy, and it gave them peace, and it gave them a sense of freedom in the midst of the bondage of the Roman Empire. It was powerful for them. Well, we don't have that going for us. We instead live in a society that, that feels free and we praise God for that. But in the midst of it, it also means that we have this culture that tells us we can dictate what things are like. And that's what we've brought into the church and into our journey with Jesus. When he instead is saying, do not think that I come to bring peace to the earth. In other words, if we could say it a little bit differently, what we might say is that Jesus didn't come just to make everything easy. Verse 36, I've come to set man against father, daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Because some within the family are going to begin to follow Jesus. And as they do, you might have mothers and daughters who don't agree. Fathers and sons, some following Jesus, others not following Jesus. And following Jesus means you don't own your life anymore. It's surrendered to him. And so as a result, you're not going to have families that totally line up anymore. Now, Jesus, there's no one like Jesus. His heart of love and his heart of compassion and his heart of mercy. But he also knows that the only way to the Father is, is through him. And it's through us surrendering everything that we have and giving all that we have to him. And then we receive his purity and his peace and his joy as we come into the presence of God. So all that we receive is through walking in the lordship of Jesus, surrendering everything that we have to Jesus, and then we're brought into the kingdom of God, and we'll be with him forever. It's powerful, and it's radical, but it does take a complete surrender. And Jesus is saying here that if we're going to be surrendered at times, we're going to find that one in the family is following Jesus and somebody else isn't. Now, there are many people around the world who get that in ways that we can't. Just a week and a half ago, I was in a very unreached, unengaged part of, of South Sudan. And, and as I was there, I was among a, a number of tribes. Uh, many of them have no known followers of Jesus. Uh, it is a, a very spiritually dark place. And we sat in this room with the church leaders from that area. There's only a handful of them because they're only 
you know, two main churches, one in the town and one kind of right outside of it. And we were sitting with those church leaders and they began to go around and, and share and introduce themselves. And, and one of them, I'll call him Muhammad, uh, it got to him and, and he said, uh, he said, my name is Muhammad. He shared a little bit about himself and, and then he just made this statement. He said, I come from a tribe with only six believers. And then they just went on to the next person, on to the next person. And I said, who does that as a, as a part of a, an introduction? Hi, my name's Peter. I'm from a tribe of only six believers. You know, for him in this world, living among all these tribes, some with no known believers, himself coming from a tribe with only six believers, what was foremost on his mind was people knowing the love of Jesus Christ. Well, I couldn't just let it go on that. So I circled back after all the introductions were done. And I said, you come from a tribe with only six believers. He said, yeah, it's me and it's five other people. There are only six of us who are following Jesus. And I said, but you're here. You're, you're not among your tribe. And he said, well, I'm a missionary here this year. And next year, I'm planning to go back to my tribe. And I thought, it's just incredible what it looks like to be someone so on mission with God, but here is also a brother who knows what it means to have some of your family turned against others of your family. He's familiar with Muslim contexts like many other contexts of the world where you will become estranged from your family if you begin to follow Jesus. So what Jesus is saying here may seem foreign to us and in Houston, Texas in 2021, but it's, it's so common even to this day in many parts of the world where following Jesus that does feel like a sword instead of peace because it does feel like families even getting ripped from each other, not because of the one who's following Jesus, but because of, of others who will repel them and push them away and maybe even consider them to be dead. I have met a former Muslims who have come to faith in Jesus who have paid a sacrifice that many of us cannot fathom. They, they can't talk to their dad or their mom or their siblings because they've been entirely rejected because they're following Jesus. They are living out what Matthew 10 is all about, but they've considered Jesus Jesus is more precious than having that relationship with their family. And as hard as it is, I think they're right. And for them, the Lordship of Christ comes with a cost. It exacts a toll on them. But for us in our culture, if, if we don't understand that and embrace it and walk in it, we can think that we're following Jesus when we haven't ever fully surrendered. Verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And Jesus really could, could say here, whoever loves anyone or anything more than Jesus, but, but you're probably going to love your dad or your mom or other members of your family. Whoever loves son or daughter, he goes on to say, more than me is not worthy of me. So Jesus is saying, look, it's really it's really simple. If you're going to follow me, then, then I have to be foremost. Now, for some of us, we might be feeling a lot of tension in this. You know what I mean? It's like we, we want to follow Jesus, but maybe we never have before, and we're, we're beginning to realize that following him is it's not easy. It, it, it means that we're surrendering everything else, and, and, and we're saying to him, Jesus, you, you're just more precious to us, and, and we, we need you more than than anyone or, 
or anything else. And the reality is that unless we surrender everything to Jesus, we will not taste of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is where God is. It's where an eternity with him is. It's where perfect love is and joy and peace and all of that. It's not unless we surrender everything and we enter the kingdom of heaven that we will love our family as we should. So many of us struggle with thinking, well, if I, if I love Jesus more than my family, doesn't mean I'm not really loving my family. No, it's actually the opposite. It's when you really love Jesus more than your family that you're filled with his presence. And then you love your family, not only with your love, but your love empowered by the love of God. And you will love and care for your family a different way than you ever could. And so many people think, well, if I, if I place Jesus in front of my family, it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm then surrendering my family to him, so I'm not in control anymore, but you're not in control in the first place. And the most loving, caring thing you possibly do for your family is surrender them to God and, and follow him foremost so that we're trusting him and his power and his sovereignty and his care to care for your family. One of the things that's happened also in our culture is is this idea of, of whatever you do, provide security for your family, which is, which is really a good thing and, and admirable. But it can be taken too far. It's like we've got the American ideal, the American dream of, you know, if I make enough money, I can have a nice enough place, and that money will, will make life easy for my family, and they'll, they'll be really comfortable. And if, if something happens to them, like, like physically they become sick or something else, it's okay, I've got the money, we can, we can pay for the doctors, we live in a good place with, with great doctors, and, and we go on and on with thinking about how do we make life as, as comfortable and easy, and it's this, it's this ideal we're constantly chasing. We just want it to be more and more comfortable and easier and easier, and we love the new technology that enables that to be possible, and, and we love when we have more money, and we, and we reach this vision, this goal, this dream that, that we have, and, and some Sometimes, if we're not careful, we put that ideal of security and, and comfort and safety in front of Jesus. And we begin to want that more for our family than we do for our, our family to be squarely in his hands. We want so, some of it's a good thing, we want so badly from our, in and of ourselves to care for our families well, and, and that's good and right and honoring to God. But in the midst of it, if we, if we don't have our families surrender to him, can, can I just say it bluntly? Can I just say it directly? If we don't have our families surrendering to him, I think we are missing some spiritual covering that we as parents should be providing over our families. It's as if we're saying to God, God, we don't totally trust you with this. We know that you created all things. We know that you're loving and you're kind and you're powerful, but I just don't feel like I can trust you with my family. Or I don't feel like I can trust you with my money. Or I don't feel like I can trust you with my job. Or I don't feel like I can trust you with my house. Or I don't feel like I can trust you with something else. So i got to hang on to this, this part of life or, or this part of life because I just don't feel like I can really trust you with that. I read this biography recently, an incredible story of these missionaries and, 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 and reading all the accounts of, of kids that passed away and a lot of suffering they went through and they got towards the end of the story. And here, here was the lady... And by this time, I think in her 60s and, and uh, dealing with a lot of physical challenges. And she was just describing everything that was in front of her and her husband. And then she made this, this statement. And remember, this is after I'd read about all the deaths of the kids and everything else they'd been through. She made this statement. She said, I learned a long time ago 
that the safest place to be is right where God wants me to be. Because when we're where God wants us to be and we surrender everything to him, it's our way of saying to him, God, we trust you. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what you're going to do. But we know you. We know that you are loving. We know that you are kind. We know that you are gracious. We know that you are compassionate. We know that you know us and care for us. And you, you embrace us and you walk with us. You will never leave us. We know you. We don't know the future. But we know you. And in the midst of that, we're just going to, to trust you. And we're going to walk with you. And Hope family, I am just fearful that the greatest restriction to the move of the power of God in our lives is a lack of surrender. That when we pray and, and even fast, we're begging God to do his work in us and just move by the power of the Holy Spirit. We long to see miracles happen in our lives. We long to see God bring breakthroughs and, and do things that we've never seen before. And we're, we're praying for that, but we're, we're not really surrendered. And we want to be that funnel, that conduit for the move of God in our lives, but we're we're not really surrendered. And then we wonder, why are we not seeing it? Why are some other people seeing it, but we're not seeing it? Are we not gifted enough? Are we not special enough? Has God not created us in a, in a great enough way? And it, it all boils down to that lack of surrender. This is just my own opinion, but my own opinion is that if there's one thing we could do to experience a more radical move of God in and through our lives and in and through our church, it would be utter surrender. Us just coming before him with open hands and saying, God, whatever you want to do in us, we just do it. We trust you. We don't know what you're going to do. We don't know what it's going to look like. We just trust you. We know who you are, and we just trust you. One of the things that helps me the most in, in my own times of worship is, is just praying with, with open hands. And uh, I, I love to be you know, physical in, in worship, whether it's in here just raising my hands or, or in, in my bedroom at home when, I, when I'm praying and, and singing and just, just raising my hands. It's a, it's a physical expression of, of what I feel. And one of the things that helps me the most in, in prayer, especially if I'm in, in, in angst over something, something that I'm really wrestling with, I'm in, I'm in turmoil over, maybe, maybe a hardship that I'm, I'm going through and I'm just feeling it so deeply and it, 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 it's just to open my hands and, and just pray and just say, God, I'm a mess. I'm actually absolutely worked up over this. Sometimes it's just with tears. Sometimes it's gritted teeth. You know what I mean? Sometimes you're just gutting it out, but it's, it's these open hands of, but God, I, I still just trust you. I trust you. And because I trust you, I just surrender and ask you to do whatever you want to do. And I think the greatest act of worship that many of us can, can give to God isn't, isn't actually in here on Sunday when we're all together and singing, but it's, but it's whenever you're in your own bedroom and nobody else is around and you are in the midst of hardship. You are hurting and you are struggling and yet you worship. You are hurting and you are in trouble, but you open your hands. You are in the midst of the depths of life and yet you surrender everything to your king. That's worship right there. That is powerful, powerful worship. So this is what Jesus is saying here, verse 38. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Okay, he's going even deeper here. He's getting to the end, but he's going even deeper. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What an incredible metaphor for Jesus to pick. Jesus would later die on the cross, which was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals in the Roman Empire. Two pieces of wood uh, put uh, on each other, and then you would be nailed there through the hands and feet after your clothes were stripped of you. You would be beaten, whipped, mocked, scorned. Jesus had a crown of thorns on his head. And then on top of all of that, as you're struggling to breathe up there on the cross, dying with the worst of the worst criminals, people would walk by on the road and they would mock you. And they would say horrible things about you because they would deem you to be the scourge of the earth. And Jesus would say, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. In other words, if you don't already consider yourself dead to the world and follow me, you're not worthy of me. You've got to consider that your old life is gone. Everything that you used to own and claim and control, you have that all laid down before me. Do you might remember in John 3.16, where, uh, where Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, and many of us learned that verse early on, but what comes with that whole passage, that dialogue with him, is the idea that you have to be born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. Your old life is gone, and you're born again in Jesus. You don't own anything anymore. You're, you're new before him. You think about what baptism may look like, where you're, you're buried and you, you raise again because you're raised again with new life. So this is what Jesus is saying. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me. In other words, take your cross, consider yourself already dead to the old way, and you follow me is not worthy of me. And then verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I remember sitting out under a mango tree in South Sudan some years back and with some church leaders. We were talking together, and we came to this passage. And I knew it was going to be tough. I mean, I knew it was going to be tough sharing it with you all tonight. It's kind of like, why didn't Steve get that passage? You know, I'm going through this thinking, this is not going to be easy. And I knew it wasn't on that day as we, as we gathered uh, together for our discipleship time. And I began to walk through it. What does Jesus mean here when he says that whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will find it? Whoever finds his life, the pastors began to say as they were dialoguing together, they, they began to put, put forward this idea. If you find your life on this world, you're creating your own life, your own, you know, who you are and how you want it. You're going to lose it, but you've got to lose your life to Jesus in the sense that you've got to surrender everything to him. And then you've got to find, you will find it. So if you really want to be in the kingdom of God and really want to live as God created you to live, you first got to lose everything that you have. It's completely counterintuitive and unbelievably beautiful. It's this way of us coming before God and, and saying, I'm not going to live according to myself. I just want to live however you want me to live. I'm going to lose my life, lose that old life. Well, the pastors, the church leaders in our area begin to go around telling everybody, you've got to lose your life. 
you got to lose your life. And I remember they, they came back, and, and the next time, a few days later, they came back. And I, I said, well, what do you think about that passage now that you have a, had a few days to wrestle with? And I remember when we first talked to them about that passage, they looked shell-shocked. When they came back a few days later, they were beaming, just full of joy. Because I tell you, Hope Family, there is nothing like losing your life to Jesus. You want joy, that's how you find it. You want peace, that's how you find it. You want to feel the fullness of God's presence with you, that's how you find it. You see great women and men of God who are experiencing the power of God, that's how you find it. If you want your life to be constrained and constricted and and controlled and limited, then keep trying to find your own life and keep trying to hang on to it. But if you want to experience the love of God, the power of God, the peace of God, the grace of God, and the fullness of all that God has, then you've got to lose that to him. That is the radical nature of following Jesus. It's not easy. It's not not crazy. It's just simple and profound. Now, there are two things. Some of us in here may never have journeyed with Jesus before. You're wondering what it looks like to walk with him, and now you see how simple it is. And tonight we would encourage you and invite you in your own heart before God just to surrender all things with him. Just proclaim to him your belief in him, that you do believe who Jesus is and what he's done, and that surrendering of that heart, your heart before him. Some of you have journeyed with Jesus for some time and maybe you're going through uh, this passage tonight and you're just feeling the tension in your heart. So many of us struggle with things. We recognize there are areas that we, we haven't surrendered. So often it's our family, but it could be so many other things that just, just aren't surrendered and you're wrestling with that tonight. And, and, and perhaps even as we've gone through this passage, you've already come to a point of surrender or maybe in a moment as we begin to sing and pray you might just want to sit there and pray or or come forward with our our prayer team and it could be that you want to confess or it could be that you want to come forward and just ask for prayer and and just just let us know that there's an area where you're struggling and we'd be honored to pray for you it could be that you just want to grab some other hopeful somebody else out there and just ask them to cover you I want to plead with us as a Hope family not to let this time slip on by us if there's an area of under-surrender in our heart, but to be authentic, to be real, and to ask our loving God just to deal with us. Let me ask you to stand. Let me ask our music team and our prayer team to come. I absolutely love this time that we have as a church when, when we can come together and just be who we are before God. And ask him to, to move in us in a really powerful and real way. And I just want to suggest that I think this time, as we allow God to deal with us in the area of surrender, is one of the most important times uh, that we can have. So I want to encourage us just to be present, be in the moment, and let's just invite God to move. Father, we thank you uh, for the privilege that we have as a church of getting to walk straight through the scriptures verse by verse by verse, week by week, coming face to face with what Jesus has to say to us. I thank you for the power of what we've heard today. It's not easy, but it's profound. It has the capacity to shift everything for us. So many of us are just worn out. We're tired. We're exhausted. We've been trying to control things and own things and do things and, and manage things and tonight there's a there's a real powerful nudge in our hearts just to just to lay it down and God what 
what we're laying down are, are, are things that we deeply, deeply care about. We just know that you care even more. And we know that you're the great and living God. You're on your throne with raw power. And we ask that you would just visit us now and just move in us. Your presence is here with us and we ask that you would just touch us one by one. Father, I pray for any of us who are struggling now in that area of surrender, you you would just touch us as only you can. And as we open up this time up front now for guests, for covenant members, just to come for prayer. Maybe Maybe it's related to surrender. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's a need for physical healing. Maybe it's some sort of spiritual attack. Whatever it is that we're going through, we ask that you would just stir in power by the move of your spirit. As we sing now, as we pray now, you would do your work, a transformative, life giving work. We ask that you would just move in this place right now and do it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.